Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. On Wisconsin, on Wisconsin, grand old badger state, we thy loyal sons and daughters, healthy, good, and great. On Wisconsin, on Wisconsin, champion of the right. Forward our mark, oh God will give thee might. On Wisconsin, on Wisconsin, grand old Badger State, we thy loyal sons and daughters, healthy, good, and great. On Wisconsin, on Wisconsin, champion of the Reich, forward our motto, God will give thee might. Yeah! Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 186, Wisconsin Turkey Hunt. And I am your host and the guy who is back home trying to tie up some loose ends before hitting the road again. Today, we are 302 days, 11 hours, 35 minutes and six seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. Man, I gotta tell you, it feels so good to sleep in my own bed. (laughs) Even if it's just for a few nights, it's really nice to be home for a little bit. So as I mentioned, I am back home, but I'm not unpacking my bags or my gun case. I do, however, need to pack a few more shotgun shells, as you already know, and I pulled out my dirty clothes to wash them, dry them, soak them in permanone again, and repack them. Because soon, I'll be back out on the road to try to mark off two, and hopefully three more states off my list. But today, I want to talk about my trip to Wisconsin and Minnesota. Actually, I'm teasing you guys a bit, and I'm just going to share my Wisconsin turkey hunting stories with you guys, and I'll share Minnesota with you next week. I have a heck of a lot to share with you about Wisconsin, so let's get started. 
So I can't remember if I mentioned to you guys or not that my Yankee buddy, John, was supposed to go on this trip with me to Wisconsin and Minnesota. And about three days before the trip, he canceled. So that left me having to make some different arrangements. My different arrangements were now I need a rental car. And instead of me and John sharing the cost of a hotel room, that leaves the cost of lodging all on me. And I had an idea. Since I needed a rental car and I needed lodging, why didn't I get two for one? So where I could have rented a small or mid-sized car, I opted instead for a standard size SUV. And my plan became sleeping in the vehicle. And when I landed in Wisconsin, I would stop somewhere and get an air mattress, a sleeping bag, and some groceries, and a couple of coolers as well. And that is exactly what I did. So I had plans at that point to sleep in the back of an SUV on an air mattress in a sleeping bag for six nights. So when I landed in Milwaukee, I went to the rental car booth where they offered me a Buick Enclave or a Ford Flex. Well, I wasn't real sure if I could sleep in the back of a Buick Enclave. I believe that they are much smaller vehicles than a Ford Flex is. And I was pretty sure that the Ford Flex was an all-wheel drive. Now, I didn't really think that I was going to need a vehicle with all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, but what does it hurt? And I felt 99% sure I could sleep in the back of that Ford Flex without a problem. So I opted for the Flex, got the rental car, left the airport. I went to Walmart and picked up air mattress, sleeping bag, an air pump to pump the mattress up, and what I felt like was a week's worth of groceries, and two coolers, and a pocket knife because I left my pocket knife at home accidentally. So I load all of this stuff into the Ford Flex and I head west, southwest. And this is the part of the story where I probably need to throw out some huge thank yous because this trip would not have been nearly as successful if it weren't for people like Justin Dock and Jeff Grzynski, just to name a couple of them. And I really hate naming names in a situation like this because I had about three or four other people reach out to me and offer assistance in planning this trip and actually hunting on this trip. And I am extremely grateful to everyone who offered information and assistance that helped me out on this. Jeff Grzynski actually took the time to send me a map where he had laid out all of the details of a piece of public land that he hunts and had dropped pins in locations where he's killed turkeys, seen turkeys, heard turkeys, knows where turkeys like to loaf midday. I mean, this is about as thorough of a map as you could wish for. Justin Dock offered me the opportunity to hunt his uncle's farm, and that was my destination to start with. 
So my plan was to hunt the farm for a couple of days, and if I hadn't killed anything, go hit the public land that Jeff sent me to and see what I could do there. So I arrived at Justin's uncle's farm in southwest Wisconsin around 3 p.m. Friday afternoon. I've never met Justin's uncle before face-to-face. I have talked to him on the phone because I wanted him to be comfortable with me coming to hunt his farm, and I know the best way to do that is for him to actually speak to me. So when I was on the phone with Justin's uncle, I offered my assistance to help around the farm for a couple of days while I was there hunting, and he gladly took me up on that offer. And now my offer was sincere, so I wanted him to take me up on it. I actually very much enjoy doing that kind of stuff because it is such a drastic change. It's a 180 degree change from what I do day in and day out, which is work with my brain and push paper all day long. And it takes me back to my roots as well. Growing up in the nursery and landscape business, we were always around tractors and equipment We were always outside. We were always getting dirty. And so I knew that this would be an opportunity to get out and give back, hopefully give back a little bit of something to a gentleman who's kind enough to take in a stranger to hunt his farm. So after arriving at Justin's uncle's farm, and we're going to call him Mr. Ken for the sake of the show, so I don't have to keep calling him Justin's uncle. So I arrive at Mr. Ken's farm about 3 or 3.30, Friday afternoon, have a brief conversation with him, and I tell him that I have two goals for my trip there. Goal number one is for him to never know I was even there when I leave. Goal number two was to hopefully help leave the place a little bit better than it was when I got there, meaning I wanted to help out around the farm. So after we chatted for probably 30 or 45 minutes, Mr. Ken said, well, let's get in the truck and let me take you for a ride and show you these farms that I have for you to hunt and show you the property lines as well. So I get in the vehicle with Mr. Ken and we ride around and we check three different pieces of property. One is the homestead where the farmhouse is and all of their barns and sheds and everything that they use day in and day out. This piece of property is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 to 120 acres. Then Mr. Ken has a 40-acre section across the county road from the homestead, and he shows me that. Then we drive about a mile and a half down the county road, and he shows me another 40 that he owns and that I can hunt. So when we get back to the farmhouse, Mr. Ken says, well, I'm sure you want to throw on your clothes and go on out there and hunt this afternoon, don't you? And I said, well, unless you've got a few things you need me to help with around here, then yes, sir, that's what I'd like to do. And he said, I don't have anything for you to do today. He said, there's probably a couple of things you can help me out with tomorrow. So why don't you go on out and hunt? So I said, I will do that. And where would you recommend I go? Where would you go if you were me? So Mr. Ken thought for a few minutes and he said, I think I'd hunt over here at the homestead. So I said, all right, that's what I want to do. 
And so Mr. Ken said, well, go take your bags up into the bedroom. There's a bedroom upstairs. Take your bag up there. Make yourself at home. Change clothes and get on out and get hunting. And I said, well, Mr. Ken, I I appreciate the offer to stay in your house, but I'd really planned on staying in the vehicle. I don't, I do not want to be an inconvenience to you and your wife while I'm here. And he said, you will not be an inconvenience to us at all. We had planned on you staying here at the house the whole time that you're here hunting. And that's the way it is. And he said, now, if it makes you uncomfortable to stay in the house, then you're welcome to stay in the car. I'm just going to let that decision be yours. So I said, well, okay. So I grabbed my camo clothes out of my suitcase and I went upstairs to the bedroom and changed clothes. I came back down and jumped into the Ford Flex, drove over to the parking area of where I was going to hunt, got out. I walked around, found me a nice spot up on the side of the hill, and I sat down and began to call a little bit. Well, Friday afternoon, I ended up not hearing anything gobble, nor did I see any turkeys, but it was obvious that there are turkeys in the area. So at dark, I walk back to the flex, drive back to the house, eat dinner, and chit-chat with Mr. Ken and Miss Beverly for a little while, and retired for the evening. Well, from doing a little bit of research online, I noticed that it was going to get daylight pretty early. It looked like the first sign of daylight was about 4.45. I knew I was about 15 minutes away from where I was going to hunt. So I figured, okay, I need to get up at about 4.30. I need to throw on my clothes, slip out of the house, get in the vehicle, and go over to where Mr. Ken suggested I go Saturday morning. So that's exactly what I did. I slip out, I get the car, I leave, I drive about two minutes from their house, park the car, and now I'm hunting the homestead, but I've just moved a little bit further away from their house, parked the vehicle, walked across an open field, and down into a little head of woods where I can hear turkeys gobbling all around me. When I got out of the vehicle at about 4.50, turkeys were already gobbling. And it's dark. I mean, it's not quite pitch black dark, but it is dark. So I walk across the open field into that little neck of woods and I find a spot to sit down between two different groups of gobbling turkeys. Now, little did I know at the time that I sat down that I actually set up about 10 yards from the property line and the fence that runs along the property line. And I didn't know that at the time because I thought that that fence was the cross fence that Mr. Ken said that he recently built. But once it started cracking daylight, I noticed that that was not the cross fence. That was the property line fence. So I kind of boxed myself into a corner a little bit here. But I had turkeys gobbling around me and I was not about to move. The woods are very open on this piece of property because it's a cattle farm. The majority of that piece of property where his homestead is, is where Mr. Ken keeps his cattle. So there's very little underbrush at all on this property. So Saturday morning, I heard, I'm going to say between 20 and 25 different gobbling turkeys. They were everywhere. Not all of them were on Mr. Ken's farm but they were everywhere around there. So I felt pretty good about my odds of getting 
a turkey to come in, but what I didn't feel real good about was my setup because even though I knew where turkeys were, as I was calling, I didn't know which turkeys or turkey might come in to my calling and from what direction. So I'm sitting here on this hillside and I am watching the neighbor's hillside where I hear two turkeys gobbling and I hear two hens calling as well. It gets to be about fly down time and these gobblers have been gobbling their brains out for probably an hour. And all of a sudden I see a turkey pitch out of the tree on the hillside across from me off the neighbor's property and sail down into the cow pasture on Mr. Ken's property. Out in front of me about 75 yards and I can see that it's a hen and here comes the next turkey out of the tree and sails down and lands next to this first turkey and I can see that one's a hen. So now I've got two hens on Mr. Ken's property right in front of me and there are two gobblers still on the roost on the ridge on the neighbor's property. Well, the gobblers didn't sell down. They basically climbed the ladder down out of the tree because they continued to gobble from the same location that they'd been gobbling while they were on the roost. Except now they've gone and they've met up. So now these two turkeys are together and they're gobbling. And I can hear them off on the neighbor's property gobbling and gobbling and gobbling. Meanwhile, I hear two or three more gobblers up on Mr. Ken's property between me and Mr. Ken's house. But as I just mentioned, I'm on the side of a hill. The woods are very open and I'm not moving anywhere without being seen and spooking turkeys. So I figure I'm better off just sitting where I am and continuing to call. So I continue calling and these two turkeys that were on the neighbor's property start my direction. They're probably 150 yards off when I determine that they're coming my way. And they're gobbling and they're double gobbling. And as they get closer, I can hear them spitting and drumming. And all of a sudden, I see some movement up ahead on the neighbor's farm. And it's a turkey. And the turkey's walking straight towards me. Then I see the beard. Then I see the turkey behind the first turkey. And I see the beard on him. And they're continuing to walk towards me steadily coming at me, coming at me, coming towards the property line fence. They're coming from my left to my right. At one point in time, both of those turkeys walked directly in front of my gun barrel at about 30 yards. I could have whacked one of them so easily, but the turkeys are on the neighbor's farm. So I wait, and I'm watching, and I can't move. And I'm watching them continue to come towards me, and there are two decent-sized trees that are side-by-side, side, and the turkeys walked behind those trees. And when they did, I moved my gun over, and I got ready. And I kind of pointed it at the direction that I thought that they would come underneath the fence. But instead, they kept angling from my left to my right and getting a little bit further away. So I'm at the point now to where there's nothing between me and these turkeys except for four strands of barbed wire. So I am watching these turkeys moving only my eyes. So as they're coming closer to the fence line, I'm watching them and they're getting to that point to where they are out of my main line of view. And I'm having to watch them out of the corner of my eye. And it's still kind of gray outside. 
And when the first turkey ducks his head to go up underneath the fence, I made my mind up. That was the opportunity I was going to take to swing my gun further to the right, click the safety off, and shoot. And that is exactly what I started to do. I click the safety off, I swing the gun over to the right, and when I do, I can see the turkeys better now, and I see that neither of the turkeys have crossed the fence line yet, that they are both still on the neighbor's property. The first turkey putts two times and sails off to the other hillside and actually landed again on the neighbor's property. The second turkey stood there and was trying to figure out what in the world was going on until he decided, well, I better leave since my buddy just left. So he pitches off the hill that I'm on, flies across the valley, lands on the hill opposite of me, still on the neighbor's property. As soon as those two turkeys hit the ground, they started gobbling again. And they continued to gobble nonstop until about 10 o'clock that morning. So after watching those turkeys fly off onto the hillside opposite of me, walk up on the hillside and they're strutting back and forth up there and they're gobbling, but there's no way for me to move to get to them without them seeing me. So I just have to sit there and watch them. And that's exactly what I did. So finally, when they eased off to a point to where I felt like I could move and try to get up on that hill with them and call them back onto Mr. Ken's property up at the top of that ridge, I did that. The turkeys had moved off onto the neighbor's farm along the same ridge, but just across the property line from Mr. Ken's. So I climb up there, I sit down, I call, and there are actually three turkeys on top of that ridge that are gobbling. Two of them together and one by himself. And they gobbled, and they gobbled, and they gobbled, and they strutted, and they gobbled, and I never saw one of them again. So after the early morning excitement Saturday, there really wasn't much else going on. I went and hunted a couple of other locations and saw some turkeys. actually saw one longbeard, but he was not interested in my calling, and I don't really blame him. But I didn't really have much going on the rest of Saturday. So let's fast forward to Sunday morning. Sunday morning, I decided to get up and go hunt the farm that was about a mile and a half down the county road from the homestead. And I wanted to go over there just mainly because Saturday afternoon I hunted there at the homestead and I heard two turkeys fly up and I heard a few turkeys gobble. But the turkeys that I was trying to get roosted Saturday afternoon on the homestead actually did not roost there. They left the homestead. I watched them walk off following some hens and they went and roosted on a different farm. So I decided to go to this other farm that was about a mile and a half from the homestead Sunday morning. I got over there before daylight, found my spot to sit down, and I sat there and I listened. And I had turkeys gobbling to my north, and I had turkeys gobbling to my south. I had no turkeys within probably 400 yards of me. And I felt like I had no turkeys gobbling even on the 40-acre farm that I was on. I felt like the turkeys were off of that 40 acres and on to neighboring farms. So 
I didn't have much going on Sunday morning. The gobbling actually stopped fairly early, I would say an hour after flydown, and I saw a few jakes, saw a couple of hens, nothing shootable. So I hunted until about noon Saturday, and then I went to the homestead, and now what I didn't tell you is that midday Saturday, I actually helped Mr. Ken and his son-in-law move some wood from a tree that they'd cut down on his son-in-law's farm a couple of weeks earlier. So we got all that wood moved, and then when we got through moving that, Mr. Ken said, well, I've got this tree that I cut down in my yard that I need to get the wood from that tree out of the yard because the grass is starting to grow so much, and I need to cut the grass. So he and I went to the homestead, and we removed all of the wood from the tree that he'd cut down in his yard. We got all of that out of the yard, but the afternoon started to get late, and we still had some wood from that tree in his pasture that was on the other side of his fence right there next to his house. So we decided that we would get that wood Sunday and finish cleaning up around there. So that's exactly what we did. So Sunday when I got through hunting around noon, I went to the homestead and Mr. Ken and I began to load the rest of the wood from the pasture into his truck and move it across the road from his homestead and stack it there so that it could be split at some point between now and winter. And then he had another chore for me. And he said, I've got an auger over at my neighbor's farm that I've let him borrow, and I need to go and pick that up. And he's left it out for me. So Mr. Ken and I load up in this truck. We head over to the neighbor's farm, and we load the auger on the truck, and we start back to the homestead. Well, we pull up into the homestead, and we pull up to his equipment shed, which is at the highest point on his farm, out of all of the buildings on the farm, the equipment shed's the one that's up the highest elevation. And you've got a pretty good view of the rolling hills around the area from the equipment shed. As soon as I get out of the truck, I spot two turkeys out in a cornfield. Well, it's the same cornfield that we've been seeing two toms in for the past two afternoons. And I felt like it might be the two toms again. So I grabbed the binoculars out of Mr. Ken's truck I glassed the turkeys, and I could tell that they were male turkeys, but I could not see a beard on them. So I wasn't 100% sure that they were long beards. I felt like they were jakes. So I'm standing there, and I'm watching the turkeys with the binoculars. Mr. Ken walks over there, and he said, oh, you spotted two turkeys. And I said, yes, sir. He said, well, what are they? I said, well, they look like male turkeys, and I don't see beards on them. So I'm thinking that it's a couple of jakes. He said, well, that could very well be the case. And then all of a sudden he says, well, son of a, would you look over here? Here's one puffed up on the side of the hill. So I turn and I look over my right shoulder and about 300 yards away, I see a turkey coming out of strut. And next to him, I see another long beard. I also saw that they were with two hens. So Mr. Ken says, all right, let's get this auger unloaded, and then I've got to get you out turkey hunting. I said, yes, sir. So we walk over to the back of the truck, unload the auger. It took maybe a total of two minutes. We jump in the truck, drive down from the equipment shed to the homestead, to the house, where my vehicle is parked and my clothes and my gun are. Now, these four turkeys 
can see us from basically anywhere we are on the farm. They could see us when we were at the equipment shed, but they are used to seeing people around the homestead there, so they just were not alarmed at all. Well, when we drove down the hill, pulled up there at the homestead, you could still see the turkeys up on the hillside. So I quickly changed clothes, I grabbed my gun, I grabbed my fan, and Mr. Ken was standing there and he said, well, I don't know how to tell you to get to these turkeys without them seeing you because they're at such a high elevation. And I said, well, I've got an idea. I'm walking straight to them. And he kind of looked at me like, you've lost your mind. And, and I didn't bother to tell him that I had lost my mind a long time ago. So I take off. I leave my vest at the vehicle. There's no reason to have my vest and just have that additional weight and bulk. So I had a couple of diaphragm calls with me. I had my fan. I had my shotgun. And I started towards the turkeys. I went through the gap into the cow pasture. And these four turkeys are on the second hill away from the homestead. The first hill is a smaller hill. The second hill is a big hill. That's the hill that the turkeys are on. And they're working the top of that hill and they're working the homestead side of that hill. Well, where I step into the cow pasture is actually below them. It's actually below the first hill. So I'm shielded from them for pretty much the majority of the walk up there. And as I started walking up the first hill, and I got to a point to where if the turkeys were still on the top or the homestead side of the second hill, they would be able to see me. I put the fan up in front of my face, and I just very slowly walked straight out where I saw them last. Well, the fan that I have has a couple of holes in it, not that I've cut, but just from the way that the fan dried. And the way the feathers have gotten worn through use. And so I'm looking through those holes for the turkeys on either the homestead side of the hill or the ridge, the high point of the hill, of that second hill. And I don't see them. So I said, well, one of two things have happened. There's an ag field up above this second hill. They have either gone up into that ag field or they've dropped down between the first hill and the second hill, and they're down in the little valley there between those two hills. So if I continue to walk forward, I should be able to see if they're in that little valley right there, and if they are, they should be in range. So I continue to walk, and I'm looking through the fan, looking for turkeys. I'm moving a little bit left, a little bit right. I don't see anything. I get to where I can see down into that little valley, and I don't see any turkeys. So I said, okay, Now it's possible that the turkeys have walked over the top of the second hill and they're down in the valley beyond the second hill or they're in the ag field up above the second hill. And I know that I need to check that little valley on the far side of the second hill before I move up to the ag field. So I drop off the top of hill number one. I walk down into the valley between hill one and hill two. I start up hill two. I've got my fan in front of my face, and I get to a point to where I think I can see over the top of hill two, and I'm looking, and I don't see anything. Well, there is a huge elm tree in the valley beyond hill number two, 
And what you don't know is it it was about 84 degrees Sunday and sunny. And I didn't know this at the time when I topped the hill, but the turkeys had moved out of the sun and were standing in the shade underneath that huge elm tree that was in the valley beyond hill number two. And so when I get up to the top of hill number two, I look down and I do not see any turkeys. So I said to myself, okay, the turkeys had to have moved up hill two into the ag field that's above hill number two. And so that's the direction that I'm going to go. So when I turn my body to the right to start walking up hill number two to the ag field that's at the top of hill number two to find the turkeys there, I see something red out of the corner of my eye. And I immediately turn my head back to the left with the fan in front of me. And I'm looking through the feathers in the fan and I see the red head of a gobbler standing underneath the elm tree in the shade. Well, because I had exposed myself and moved the fan so that it was not between me and the turkeys, the turkeys started to get a little bit nervous. And this red-headed turkey that I saw, that I just happened to notice had a pretty nice beard on him, starts walking to my right, and he steps behind a small tree. But I felt like I could kill him. He was about 35 yards away. So I've got my fan in my left hand, the forearm of the shotgun in my left hand, and I am looking down the sight at the gobbler. He's standing behind that scrubby bush. I put the sights right on his wattles, and... Two shots fired. One turkey down. Now, I apologize because the rest of the audio from that hunt is garbage. My microphone had fallen from where I clip it onto my shirt. It had just fallen down. So every time I moved, it brushed up against my shirt. And all you can hear is the noise of my shirt rubbing against the microphone. When I shot the first time, I think what happened is that scrubby little bush took the majority of my pattern. And the turkey turned and started walking diagonally up the hill away from me. The other turkeys that were underneath the giant elm tree started moving downhill. Well, the turkey that I shot at, He'd gone about 15 yards and he stopped and he looked back at me. And the second shot is the one that dropped him at about 50 yards. So I walk over there to him and I'm pretty pumped up at this point. Check him out. He's got a nice long beard on him. I still haven't measured the beard. He's got very nice spurs on him. I still haven't measured the spurs. But I've got my Wisconsin turkey and I am fired up. You know, it's a little bit frustrating and a little bit disheartening to be around as many turkeys as I was around Saturday and to have two turkeys come into your calling, get about 10 or 15 yards from you, and then get spooked. When had I set up Saturday morning 30 yards or 40 yards away from the property line, when they came across the fence, they never would have seen me and I could have just rolled one of them. I could have been done Saturday morning within 30 minutes of fly down time. 
but it didn't happen that way. I had to work for it a little bit harder. And I can tell you that even though I did not call the turkey that I killed in using turkey calls, I called him in with the fan, basically called him in. I used the fan to conceal my movement and my motion and to spark some emotion in the turkey so that it would come towards me. But I did not want that turkey to charge me. Had I been at home, I would have waited just to see what that turkey would do. But I was out of state. I was on a mission to kill a turkey in Wisconsin. That turkey was in range at 35 yards, and that turkey was going to die. Of course, I had to fire a warning shot to get him to die, but that's not unusual for me. So I'm fired up. I've got my turkey down. I take some pictures, took a couple of selfies. I still have not posted the selfies on Twitter just because of kind of the way things went down from there. So I grab the turkey. I start walking back to the homestead. I get to the homestead, and Mr. Ken's down by one of the barns that they keep some calves in. And I lay the turkey down on the ground, and I said, Well, I want to thank you. And he turned around, and he looked at me, and he said, I'll be an SOB. You got him. And I said, yes, sir, I did. I said, I I just want to thank you. I said, you know, you went so far above and beyond to help me out. You didn't know me. You welcomed me in your house. You let me hunt your farm. And I just can't tell you how appreciative I am of that. So he was very thankful for my help around the farm. And he was very complimentary of how respectful I was of them and of their property. And so I've got family in Wisconsin now. So after we exchange words there, Mr. Ken says to me, well, doggone it, I don't even have any beer to celebrate with. And I said, I do. I've got beer in the cooler in my vehicle. So he said, well, go get a beer. Let's have a celebration. So I went and got two beers out of the cooler. And he and I had a cold beer each to celebrate. And I told him, I said, I hate to do this, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean the turkey, take a shower, pack up, and I'm driving to Minnesota. And he looked at me and he said, you're going to Minnesota to hunt turkeys? And I said, yes, sir. And so he said, well, do you have somewhere that you're going to hunt in particular? Or are you just setting out over there to find a place? And I said, well, I've got somebody that I've been talking to that's keyed me in on a couple of places to hunt. And I'm actually going to go over there to where he said I should go and do some hunting. And, and see if I can't kill a turkey in Minnesota as well. So that's exactly what I did. I cleaned the turkey. I kept the spurs, the fan, and the beard. And I gave the turkey breast and thighs to Mr. Ken and asked him to enjoy those with his family and to think of me while they were enjoying that turkey. And I thanked him again for all of his kindness all of Miss Beverly's kindness, their generosity, their hospitality, and took a shower, packed up, and I hit the road for Minnesota. Now, where I was hunting in Minnesota was supposed to be a two and a half hour drive from where I was in Wisconsin, but it turns out after leaving Wisconsin at 7 p.m., I did not arrive in Minnesota at the campground where I was going to stay until midnight Sunday night, and that is is where I'm ending the story for this week. Now, again, there are some people who were crucial to my success on that hunt in Wisconsin, and I'm leaving some people out. I know I am, 
but Justin Dalk, Jeff Krasinski, and I know I left off Brent Sizer from the beginning, all were very helpful in me planning that trip. All were very generous in pointing me in the direction of where turkeys were on public land. And with Justin, he was very generous in offering his uncle's property for me to hunt as well. And it all worked out splendidly. And I've got two great friends from that trip. And that's Mr. Ken and Miss Beverly. So there you have it. There's my Wisconsin trip. And like I mentioned, we'll talk about Minnesota next week. But for now, I've got one favor to ask of you. And that is to please like and share the post for this week's show on social media. Doing so is a huge help. It lets every one of your friends and followers know that you listen to this show and that you enjoy this show. And it helps to grow our listener base. So with that said, I'm going to sign off and I'm going to say thank you very much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.